What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. On this week's Sportlight Podcast, we're going to talk about striking the balance between critiquing and over-criticizing our kids and at the same time helping them get better. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Dustin, how are you, brother? Good, Chad. I'm doing great. How about you? Doing great. Awesome. Doing great. Winding up for school to start and yep. excited for all of that. You can feel a little bit of fall in the air in the evenings. And yep. The crickets are out. When the crickets are out, I know it's football season. You can yeah. hear them now. So it's it's go time. Yeah, I'm so excited. I love fall is my favorite time of year, both weather wise here where we live in Utah, but also Man, football's coming, all those fall sports, girls soccer, cross country. It's just a a great, great time for sports and for our kids, the excitement of getting back to school. So it's a wonderful, wonderful time of year. But this week I want to talk, Dustin, as we said in our intro there, just about striking the balance between being hypercritical of a kid which would be kind of on this side of the spectrum and, and something we don't want to do. And, but at the same time, recognizing that we want to be there and help our kids, give them the resources to help them improve, give them the feedback to help them improve, and, and trying to find the balance of helping a kid improve but not being hypercritical. And, and I had a thought of that when I read this social media post. Here's what it said. I'm sitting by the pool here in Newport, and I'm listening to a dad coach his eight-year-old kid on throwing a spiral. 20 solid minutes so far of unceasing criticism and berating. The kid throws one that looks pretty good and says, Dad, I did it. Dad says it was too high, and you need to be more accurate. (laughs) This guy said, I'm ready to punch the guy. But I do think sometimes that's a a hard balance. You know, as a parent, we want to give our kids all the resources, all the opportunity to improve. But sometimes our passion to help our kids improve, it crosses a line to, as this person defined it here that observed this, berating, constant criticism. The kid does something and is excited, dad, I did it. No, you didn't, that was too high, you need to be more accurate. It's just that constant criticism that can, that can be damaging to relationships. And Dustin, you've trained quarterbacks now for 20 years and, and you've helped many kids learn to throw spirals or throw them better. And, and yeah. you've learned a lot about that training of young people, young athletes, and how to strike that balance of of having an attitude of improvement while not being overcritical. And I think it would be good to talk about how we as parents cannot cross that line to where we're just being jerks to our children. Well, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this because it's something that I've, as you mentioned, have dealt with with thousands of kids over the last 15 or 20 years. It's difficult, you know, when you're when you're working with somebody and you're teaching them a specific skill set, you, especially if you know how to do it, 
you you expect that they're going to pick it up and you forget that that skill set that you may know how to do you there, there was a time when you didn't and there was a time when you went through a growing pain and you went through a process but for most of us we don't remember those days we think that we just woke up one day and we could hit a golf ball really well or we could you know shoot a basketball really well but there were days where we didn't and it took a minute we had to learn the hard way sometimes so I would say the first thing is if you're working with a child in any sport is to make sure that they understand that it's going to take a minute, that they have to be patient with it, that this isn't a, uh, there isn't just a secret pill that you can take and it's going to make you all of a sudden have a, a perfect tennis stroke, that it, it will take a lot of time and, and, and then celebrate the small victories. Like I can't emphasize that enough when they do, in the case of this story you just read, when a kid says, Hey, I think I did it there. I, he, he felt like he did something different. Celebrate it. You know, it may, you may not say, yeah, that's perfect. Do it just like that. Every time. If it's not like, you still want to say, yes, that was awesome. That's getting better. Let's keep trying and let's see if we can do that again. Or let's see if we can even make that one better by doing this, maybe try to do this with your arm or with your hips or whatever. And you and let's see if we can keep doing it. Because the, the, the athlete is going to respond much more if, you know, positively to something they enjoy doing. You can berate them all you want. As soon as you're not there, most kids aren't going to be waking up in the morning excited to go out and throw the football. If the fear is at some point, dad's going to see me throwing this and he's going to tell me how crappy I am. <laughs> he's going to not want to do it. He's going to want to find, you know, something else. There's a, an old track coach. When I used to have this sports performance business years ago, it was actually started by a guy named Lauren Seagrave. And the, the, some of you listeners may have heard of this company. It's all over the United States called Velocity Sports Performance. This coach, Lauren Seagrave, taught track and field at LSU. And his wife won, I think, the bronze or silver medal in the Olympics back in the 80s. And anyway, he was a track coach. And I went out to Atlanta, Georgia once and spent three or four days with him. And he was teaching us about how you can teach speed. Now, I wasn't a speed coach. I hired guys that were coaches in that, in that field. But he was teaching, you know, the, the, the tricks and the training necessary and uh, methods necessary to run faster. And I'll never forget him saying, I still have it. I use it all the time. It's in my office. It says, you train animals, you coach people. And I've thought about that so many times since the difference between training and coaching and how, and I, I started thinking about that because we, we refer to the word trainer all the time, right? I'm going to my personal trainer or my trainer. I personally, when people talk about me with my, my quarterback elite business, I don't refer to myself as a quarterback trainer. I refer to myself as a quarterback coach. If anybody ever says, I want to go see my you know trainer, can we get a training? I, I will correct him and say, we can do some we can do a workout. I, I'll coach you. It's just because it's been ingrained in me that you train an animal to do something. And sometimes that requires you make it suffer. You make it so that it won't do something or it will do something. You whip it. You, I mean, unfortunately, that's what we do oftentimes to animals. We make them, they, there's consequences until they get it right. Um, with people, it, it, a better approach is to coach them. And that requires understanding and having some empathy and some compassion and a lot of patience 
if you simply are just training, 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 and a lot of coaches would disagree or maybe parents would disagree and say, no, I'm, I'm training him. He's got to get it right. Okay, go for it. Let me know how that turns out because you can train him as hard as you want and beat it into him to throw the baseball perfectly. There's still a very, very slim chance that all the skill sets that you beat into him actually end up in him being a college or a professional athlete. But what I can promise you you'll have is when that baseball's done and that mitt gets put away and he's no longer playing competitive baseball, that his memories of dad aren't going to be fond ones. And his wanting to go out and just have a casual you know, catch with his dad are probably going to be laden with bad memories and, and, and fear and, you know, the, the, the fear of making a mistake and being embarrassed instead of, I want to go and throw with my dad. Cause I felt confident and positive with him. Not that he didn't correct me, but there's a difference between positive criticism and correction and berating and embarrassment. And when we cross that line of, and we, as parents and coaches can sometimes talk ourselves in to rationalize it by saying, well, no, they, they need to know this if they're going to, you know, if I'm doing this for their own good. Yes. Coach them, coach them hard at times, correct them, but we've got to do it in a way that the kid doesn't feel embarrassed or hurt. It's a game, right? Like we're teaching them to do something that's should be fun and enjoy. And they are going to try harder and be more engaged in working on the skill set if they from time to time get complimented and feel like they're doing it right. And so when they do even a small improvement, celebrate it, make a big deal about it, high five them, chest bump them, like make a big deal about it. So they feel that improvement because over time it's just baby steps. And then over a month and five months and eight months and two years, all of a sudden they're a good player. But if you think just beating it into them in a month or two, and all of a sudden your kid's going to shoot like Steph Curry or whatever, he's going to make the NBA He'll put the ball down and walk away and then have a wedge between you and him the rest of your life that you may look back later and say, gosh, sports or coaching my own son was a curse. I wish I'd never done that. I'm very sensitive to that as a coach with my own kids and my own sons. Like I do not want to bring sports back into the house because I want to be dad and not coach. And it's hard. It's really hard. You find yourself at the dinner table getting upset about something they did at practice. And I got to remember, do I want that to be his memories? He got coached by me at practice and I was correcting him constantly at practice. And then we come home and instead of talking about what normal dad should be talking to their, I'm continuing to talk about the mistake or the, the way he didn't do it right, or the pulling his shoulder out or whatever. And it, the kids' brains are going to explode if we keep doing that. It's not healthy. Got to be careful. Yeah, for sure. I, I really appreciate what you said. I, it, I'm reflecting back on past podcasts that maybe we've had some discussions, one of which was on the process. And I think one way to avoid doing what this father seemed to be doing to this young man at a pool seemingly on a vacation yeah. is, is to think more, talk more and think more about the process rather than the mm -hmm. result, even in something as little as throwing a spiral. We really can trust the process. I uh, have been, you know this, because you and I talk all the time and 
but I had a daughter who a year and a half ago came to me and basically said, dad, I'm done with dance. I'm done. I hate dance. Like I don't want to do it one more day. I was like, all right, well, what do you want to do? And she said, tennis. And I remember that first night, like I went and bought naively like six tennis balls thinking you could practice good with six tennis balls. We went to the tennis court. I assume you can't. <laughs> yeah. that not a, you well, can't you, do that. You do a lot of chasing balls around. Okay. All right. I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's yeah. good to know. Okay. So this, this would be a lot like taking batting like practice. Batting practice with was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. It's, you learned, uh, you learned the hard way when you were shacking right. your right. six balls. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would recruit my daughter and my niece like, Hey, come, we want to practice some tennis. Right. And I'm sitting there throwing the ball. I'm, I'm talking lobbing the ball over the net and my daughter's hitting maybe like I'm talking, making contact with maybe 50% of them. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, are you sure you want to do tennis? You know? Yeah. And one of the things I realized in that moment is when that frustration boils up that maybe this father was feeling, it's, it's when I have an inability to communicate to my daughter in such a way that it will be helpful to her. So I'm saying things to her and then she does the same thing and misses the ball. And, and the frustration is within me. I'm not frustrated at her. I'm like, gosh, man, how can I help her see what she is doing? And sometimes when that frustration boils up, then we start talking in sharp ways, condescending ways. We start saying things that could be hurtful, that definitely make it not fun for the kid to continue doing it. I mean, they don't want to sit there across the net or at the side of the pool playing catch, feeling stupid. Yeah. the whole time feeling like they're an imbecile or that they're uncoordinated or whatever. And what's been amazing to me as I've watched my daughter is I take her out now, it's a year and a half and she can beat me in tennis. I mean, she does it hours a week now and it's a battle. Like I play her and I have to really try, which I do to beat her. Cause I know that will be good for her. But like we'll we'll play a a tennis match and we'll play six games and it'll be four two. It used to be that I had to hit the ball underhand just for her to be able to make contact. And the yeah. reason why I bring that up is she's been doing it for a year and a half. And I think sometimes in those beginning stages when a kid's picking up a sport or a new position, we get frustrated when if we would just say, okay, let's put a process in place that if we do, if you really want to do this and we do this for a year and a half, you are, there's no possible way you're not going to improve. But I think yelling at a kid back at this moment, berating a kid, making fun of a kid, belittling a kid, it comes from not trusting the fact that, hey, if we just have a good time doing this together, over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you're going to get where you want to go. It shows a lack of trust in the process to treat a kid that way. And you now have trained, for example, if you were training this kid, sorry, if you were coaching this kid, yeah. um, thousands of hours, thousands and thousands of hours you would be able to look at that kid because you've watched people go from that place yeah. to 
the place where man the most NFL. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you've seen the process. Yeah. I think sometimes when we are treating a kid that way, it's that we haven't seen the process. We don't trust it. It's perfectly normal not to throw a spiral at this at this stage. And and you know what progression looks like where maybe a parent who's just beginning, they don't know what progression looks like. Yeah. And so they don't trust the process. They get frustrated back here. And then what's sad is sometimes we berate a kid out of a sport because we make it so unenjoyable when if we would just would have been positive and happy throughout that process, they would have stuck with it and we would have saw them improve and they would love the sport and it would build a connection between father, son, father, daughter, you know, mother, son, and daughter, it would build that connection. And instead it, it drives wedges, which is something you've talked about before this wedge principle yeah. between parents. There, even in that situation you gave, I'll give you a, a scenario that would have been much, and not to say that it, uh, me or anybody, any dad listening to this, that we do this perfect. We, we all make this exact mistake that he made, but um, here's a better way of handling that. Instead of saying you didn't do it right, it's you missed high, you need to be more accurate. There's you, you would say, yes, son, that's better. Let's see if we can get this one a little lower. Let's see if we can hit this target a little lower. Yeah. Right. The totally different way of now the kid's excited. Now it's a challenge. Hey, I'm getting it. Now I'm going to aim a little lower and he's going to change something. Now, if you know enough about the skill set, you would teach him what to do to get the ball a little bit lower. In most cases, we don't. If I were teaching my daughter uh, tennis and she was doing, I would, I wouldn't know. I mean, I try to say what I think would work, but I'm sure somebody who knew the sport would say, no, it's not that, or it's not that complicated. You don't have to do. So if I don't know, I would, you know, let, let, let's just make it a game though. Let's try to get it a little bit lower and let the kid through trial and error kind of figure it out. And then if you realize, Hey, I think they've got something, maybe you study how to throw a spiral. Now, maybe this dad did know, maybe he played football, maybe he has some understanding of it. Then the, 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 again, the better way of doing that would be okay, son, you're getting better at it. I like that. Let's see if we can get this one a little bit lower. We don't want to throw it high. Let's see if we can get this one a little bit lower. And then let, when he does hit a little bit lower, celebrate it. Then start giving him some spots to hit and see if he can hit the spots and then make it a game and see if he can hit three in a row and then get the kid doing it. And if he's liking it at that point, okay, now, all right, I can't wait tomorrow. I want to come and do this. I want you to throw with your brother or whatever 30 times today. And I want you to really work on trying to let go of it out in front a little bit more and trying to keep your chest a little bit higher so that the ball doesn't dive on you. And let's work on that. And then tomorrow we're going to do this exact same thing again. And let's see if you can do six in a row this time. Now he's excited. There's a challenge and you're going to learn a little bit if he really loves it or not, because here's the real test. And I'll tell this to dads when I train them, I'll give the kids something to do when I coach them, I'll give the kids something to do. I'll say, dad, hey, will you work with him? Will you continue to work with him? I think he likes this. I'll say, well, we'll see what he does tonight. I just gave him a couple things to do. If he goes home and he tells you he enjoyed the workout and he works on those things I just gave him to do and he's excited to go home and practice it, then I think you probably have a kid that wants to do it. If he goes home and puts the football down and doesn't touch it between now and Friday, 
when you want me to see him again, this isn't the kind of thing you can just kind of do if you want to be good at this sport. There are certain positions you can't just be big and strong at. Quarterback's one of them, right? There's other things you have to know how to do. So let's see how he is, if he enjoyed it or not. And my goal is, as a coach is I want him to want to come back, right? Our job, I believe, as a parent is just we should want our son to try to be with us. One of the greatest books we could read as dads and moms was written by a guy named George Durant. It's, you're going to have to search it up. It's not something you're just going to go find, but it's called A Dad, A Boy, and A Ball. A Dad, A Boy, and A Ball. And the basic, I won't tell you the whole book, the basic gist of the book is this. Every time he, he had to move around for work, every time he would move around for work, he would make sure that the house he bought either had a, a basketball hoop already there or had room enough for him to pour a cement pad and put a basketball hoop up there because he knew his son loved basketball. And when he could go out on the basketball court and shoot baskets with his son and just rebound for his son, he could get his son to open up. His son would talk about things. They had a, that was kind of their safe space. So they would discuss things about school and about life while he was just rebounding and giving his son some pointers on how to shoot and try this. And But he made it a place where this kid felt, his son felt comfortable being with his dad shooting. And it became something that the son ended up enjoying. Now, his son went off on to be the all-time leading scorer at BYU for a lot of years, was a big-time basketball player at BYU, great basketball player. And this dad reflects back on, making the basketball court a place where a son wanted to be and not only wanted to be there shooting, but wanted to be there shooting with his dad. So if, if that's bowling for our kids, heck, if that's playing Xbox, if they enjoy playing Xbox, we got to let them know the limitations of doing it too much, but learn how to play Xbox, dad. Like learn how to play the game and go play it with your son and let him kick your butt at it and let him teach you how to how to play the game. And then afterwards, all right, son, let's go out and play catch now for a minute, but get engaged, make them want to be with us. And if sports is the thing, for heaven's sakes, we can't make these ambitions of our ambitions, let's be honest, of seeing our son or daughter make it to some you know, high level of sports, create a wedge to where our son or daughter later on in life wants nothing to do with that sport, or especially doesn't want, maybe they still enjoy it, but they don't enjoy it with us. Yeah. Their memories of it with us are negative ones. How sad would that be that our memories of our son are doing this game with him? His memories of his time with us was, I hated doing that with my dad. Like that's a, that would be just a complete failure on our part. What you're saying is so important as far as whatever our kids love, we need to learn about it and we need to become passionate about it. Yep. And uh, I had the biggest test of that with my daughters in drill team. Yeah. I'm a, I've dancing. Like I've never done it. I've never, you know, <laughs> but I'd like to see it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But I, but when we, when a kid chooses that path and you become, you learn the terms, you know, yeah. how it's scored, you know, the competition, you know, what the coaches are like, you know, what they're going through, you know, how practice was it's, it really does. Sports can really help us connect with our children or they can drive a wedge. And I, yeah. I think of this dad, you know, what if, what if that, 
the kid said, Dad, I did it. And like you said, he was met with, great job. That's the best one you've done so far. All right, now I want you to do that and hit me in the chest. Yeah. Right, And then he misses. Dang it, almost. Come on, let's yeah. go. Don't lose that spiral. You got this. You are moving. It, you can you the high love high expectation we don't need to just oh you know anything you do is great with me kind of a thing and i'm no. not saying that that's fine too but but we can help a kid improve with positivity and you know we've both had experiences playing for different kinds of coaches i mean we've been talking a lot about parents but there's also nothing more frustrating than playing for a coach that, you know, I think of a scene in the office with uh, the basketball episode, one of the best episodes of the office, right? Where, where Michael Scott, you know, is playing and Dwight Schrute gets a pass and shoots it up and scores, hits a shot and turns to Michael to give him high five. And Michael says, I was open, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I was open. I think sometimes we all play for coaches where it, it kind of has that feeling to it, right? Where we hit a home run, and I'm sure glad you hit that one over the fence because you shouldn't be swinging at those pitches. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like they're hyper focused on anything that they could see that is wrong. In your experience, how's it felt to be a player of a coach who? is hyper-focused on the mistakes you've made instead of the successes. You end up, and this could be said for a, a, a mother-father, mother-daughter relationship as well. In this scenario, it's coach. When you're playing not to lose or not to get pulled, not to get in trouble, not to be criticized, that's your, I'm going to do this, but I'm only, I'm doing it so that he or she doesn't, get mad at me for doing it wrong or get, you know, critique me. When you start playing that way, that's playing not to lose. And that creates tension and that creates doubt. And that creates, ultra, you know, too much focus on stuff that you shouldn't be focusing on at the time. You should just be playing and reacting and letting muscle memory and, and in competition and adrenaline and just play the game. You've already done the work. Now it's time to just put it all into action. And it, you either are or aren't good at that point. Um, your, your muscle memory is there. Or it isn't. That's what practice is for. But when you're mentally playing not to disappoint somebody and that's your focus, you're going to make a mistake. It's like looking at a, you know, if you look, if you're on a golf course and you're looking at a hole and all you see is water around the hole, don't hit it in the water. You're probably going to hit it in the water. A sports, sports, sports psychologists would talk about the negative thought. I talked about it earlier. Instead of saying you missed high son, that was a high throw. Talk about, let's get it lower. How do we get it lower? Let's try to throw it lower. I had a coach once who had me so out of whack that I would hear, and I probably talked about this before. I can't remember. I would hear the cleats in the dugout when I was pitching. I would, if they were rattling really quick, if I heard the cleats tick, 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 fast going up down the cement dugout, if I could hear that from the pitching mound, I knew that the backup catcher, and a pitcher were probably running down to the bullpen to go get warmed up that a coach had just told somebody, Hey, go get loose. And 
I was in, I was listening for that after I would throw a bad pitch or someone would hit it or something. And I would look over and see what their facial reactions were, if they were frustrated with me. And my mind was so concerned with not getting pulled that I wasn't focusing on just winning the game. And it took, that was my freshman year in college, actually. I had to learn to get past that. Now, I had a situation as well in college where I, I had a, a coach who I, I had a, a game in particular where I walked the first three hitters that came up. Shouldn't do that. No one would be happy with that. First three guys took me a second to settle down. The number four, five, and six hitters came up and your four and five hitters are usually pretty dang good hitters. And they're, they're groomed to put the ball in play right there and score some runs. Right. I struck out the fourth, fifth, and sixth hitters. And we got out of the inning. I was disappointed. I walked three, but I was good. I, I, I settled down. I got comfortable. I battled out of the inning. I was used to being in those situations and having a coach or having somebody that would say, hey, way to toughen it up. And, and I came off the field feeling like that's what I was going to. And, and everybody around me, all my teammates, everybody were excited. Way to get out of that. Way to bear down. Way to be tough. I was told the next day in a meeting about, you know, about our performances when I, uh, I was reminded how disappointed he was in me that I walked the first three hitters. With no follow-up or conversation about what happened afterwards, just the fact that the first three guys got walked. And I was waiting for there to be the but way to bear down and get focused and get those next three guys out. Now, let's just work on not getting yourself in that hole because it'll be a lot easier for you if you don't. That never came. It simply was, I can't believe you came out of there and walked the first three guys. Okay, I'll admit it. I should have been better prepared and not done that. But I'll also admit it was a heck of a job to get out of that inning without any run scores. And it, I had a hard time with that coach going forward from that point on. I had a very hard time because everything I did, I was I could strike out 10 guys. But if I had one guy hit a base hit on me, that's all I would focus on. It's just like going through the day, Shad. I could give you 10 compliments hanging out with you. If I hung out with you for the day, I could compliment you 10 times but I could say something disappointing or mean or ugly to you once. And that's what you're going to remember at the end of the day. You won't remember the 10 compliments. You'll remember that I made fun of something, your hat or your shirt or the way you said something or whatever, right? I mean, that's what we remember. Not all the compliments we hear from the day, the one thing. And so again, mom, dad, what do we want our kids to remember? It's a great exercise for us to look back at our words to our child or coaches to look back at how we talk to our team that day. And if they're leaving practice today, what are they going to remember? If you critique somebody, love them harder afterwards, pull them aside. Hey, I got on your butt for that block because you know how to make that and you didn't. You were slow to the spot. You didn't have your hands in the right place. You're better than that. And I got on you, right? Yes, sir. You did. Okay. You know why I got on you? Because I know you can make it. And because I love you and I want to see you be successful, I know how hard you've worked to be here, you can make that block. But when you don't do it, we have two choices here. You can have you can ask me not to say anything, and then you can get embarrassed in the game when it counts, or you can ask me to coach you and to get on you. So you which one do you want? If the kid's worth his salt, he's gonna say, I want you to coach me. I want you to tell me that, coach. I want to be critiqued, I want to be treated that way. Coach me. Then when he does it right. 
love the crap out of him for it. Hug him, high five and make a big deal about it. So he knows, ah, that's it. I got it. Now you've coached. But if all you do is point out the negative and we don't celebrate the positive, you're going to, we're going to have athletes who are playing not to lose, not to get pulled out, looking at the sideline to see if we have a, what our, and dads, moms, I'm telling you, they do the same thing with us up in the bleachers. We know that they look up in the watch, go to a little league game, watch a kid miss a shot or make a bad pass or miss a tackle and look over at the sideline to see if dad's now sometimes you can hear the dad yelling at the kid, but watch their eyes look to the sideline of either a mom or dad or a coach to see, are they disappointed in me? And maybe we don't even say anything, but our body language is telling the athlete I'm disappointed in you, right? We have to be careful with that stuff because they're watching those things. And it's going to not only affect the way they play throughout the rest of that game, but it's going to affect their love for the game and their enjoyment of the game. And, and it might cause them to say, bring on unnecessary mental health and pressure and stress and anxiety that we all know they're feeling anyway. Let's not make sports add pile on to an already stressful, tough life that these kids are involved in. Let's make it be a release and enjoyment for them. Anyway, that's, that's my last thought on that, Shad. I think that this is a great for every one of us to kind of reevaluate how we're coaching and are we training or are we coaching? My advice would be coach, train animals, coach people. I have two thoughts to conclude mainly summary from the things you've shared. I love it. One is what are we leading with? For example, that coach, if he could have given you the feedback about not walking those three batters. Sure. But I, it would have felt way different if you walk in and he says, Dustin, I can't believe you got out of that hole you dug for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Incredible job. Incredible job. Let's not dig that hole in the future. Yeah. You know, yep. you are not always going to be climbing out of that. But gosh, dang it. Great job. What can you do not getting that? What what happened? What do you think you got in that mess? What was your pregame routine where you didn't feel warmed up? What was it? Because we don't want to do that again, right? What can we do? And then end with, but hey, man, remember, when you do get in those situations, way to bear down and get out of it. Yeah. Right. Now I leave thinking, heck yeah, I need to be coached. I shouldn't have gotten that situation. Thank you, coach. Right. But thank you for recognizing what it took to get out of it. So I'm ready to, you're right. And you're right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and by the way, if anyone else ever gets in that situation, I know right where I'm going. So thanks for showing me who I could yeah. put in the game with yeah. bases loaded, no outs. Like yeah. great job. But let's, let's think about pregame routine. Let's think about how you can, hit the ground running with those first three batters. So this isn't a yep. regular occurrence. That's coaching. Yep. That's coaching, right? Just the condescending, you know. Yeah. You walk the first three batters. You know, like when we just do that stuff. Anyway, so that's my thing is if I'm going to talk to one of my daughters about improvement in sports or dance, I want to lead with a few things. One is the assumption that I know their attitude and effort are there. Yep. And if they aren't there, then yeah, we need to have a talk about that. If they're pouting instead of working, if yeah. they're not putting in those hours, I don't mind talking about those things, you know, and say, Hey, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if you are working hard enough right now. 
I yeah. think there's a lot of people who are putting in a lot more work than you, than you are. And that's totally fine. Yep. It, but you can't want to be great and not put in the effort necessary to be great. So either stop the whining about the results you're getting or start yep. putting in the work. Like it's okay to have those conversations with our kids. But, but the question I'm leaving with is what am I, um, what am I leading with and how, and if it is ever in a moment, like you said, so that was thought number one, what am I leading with? And if I ever do lead with the criticism, your example of missing the block, am I following up with the encouragement, with my trust, with them knowing that I love them, that I know they can do it? And so I think following criticism with, with love and confidence and instilling confidence, I think is important. And then the last thought is I just can't help but after watching what my daughter has done in a year and a half of tennis, and this isn't unique to my daughter, I think it's any kid who's willing, who loves something enough that they're willing to work hard at it, to trust the process. Yeah. If we get too frustrated at the beginning of a process and we label our kid, oh, you're never going to be able to hit a tennis ball, you're never going to be able to, to pitch, you're never going to be able to play this position, it shows a lack of trust in the process. And in the end, very few of our kids are going to end up doing something like this for a living. Yep. But if they learn the process of hard work and resiliency, then they are going to learn life's lessons through sports that will translate into other areas of their life. And we, when we act the way that that dad did at the pool side, sometimes we push our kids out of that process when they could have had this wonderful growth experience and learned many of life's, life's lessons through sports. And I just think it's super sad to go to a, to a game and there's almost one at every game where you see a parent who's just hypercritical of a kid or jumping all over a kid or yelling at everyone and, and they just make it not fun and they cut off those lessons and they'll never learn the further lessons they could have learned when we act the way that dad was acting at the poolside. And I think that's super sad and worth talking about. So thanks for your insights, Dustin. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for joining the Sportlight Podcast. Like it, share it, and let us know if there's anything you would ever like us to address. Eyes up, do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.